reading today is taken from Nehemiah chapter 1, and it's verses 1 to 11. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying... If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. There's that tantalising bit at the end. I was the cupbearer to the king. You're going to find out more about that next week. Aha. Right. This is Nehemiah chapter 1, but actually the second sermon on Nehemiah. And um, I'm going to recap a little bit on what Tom said last week. And I'm going to do it by using something called six-word stories. Anyone heard of six-word stories? Have we got any teachers in the house? Possibly. Um, When I uh, 
worked, I was a, a children's librarian, and I often was called in to do book weeks in schools. And one of the things they wanted to do was um, uh, use me as a stimulus, really, to get the children writing. And one of the things we used to do was six-word stories, right? And they can be used as a, a way into creative writing. For instance, the footsteps stopped just behind me. Dot, dot, dot. What comes next? Who, what, where, when? Um, so um, those sort of things. But it's also a good way of summing up uh, long and complicated things in just six words. It's a good discipline, really. So um, those of you who were here last week or who've caught up since will know that Tom had the rather difficult job of um, giving the background to Nehemiah and showing where this story fits into the complete narrative of the Bible, the story of God's people from creation onwards to now. Go back and um, listen and look if you haven't managed to see that, because I, I found the timeline, because I think quite visually I found the timeline especially helpful. So this is my little summing up of what Tom said. God rescues his people. He gives them a land of plenty to live in. He gives them a king, a city, a temple, um, where he promises to meet with them. But they start disobeying and turning to other gods. So this is my six words summing up, my six word story. God gives everything. Israel forgets God. And because of that, there are consequences. They're sent off into exile for about 140 years in Babylon. And Babylon is taken over by Persia during the time they're there. So, is God going to write them out? No. In mercy, God brings them home. And then there are three waves of return, three leaders um, leading people with slightly different emphases. There's the one that I can't really say, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Zeb, Ez, and Nemi, I call them in my mind. Zeb, Ez, and Nemi, builders for God. By the way, I, I do feel that uh, sometime during this series, we need to get into our Bob the Builder, all right? Bob the Builder, can we fix it? Bob the Builder, yes we can. Who's the Bob the Builder generation here? You may have had children who were into Bob the Builder. Nehemiah, can we fix it? Nehemiah, yes God can. All right, just laying that out there for the successors in this series. So we're looking at Nehemiah this week, and we're going to find out what sort of man he was, what motivated him, his relationship with God, and we're going to find that out by looking at how he prayed. And the first thing I want to talk about is what sparked him off. What was the spark for Nehemiah. 
what really gets him going. This is how this, the uh, chapter starts. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, Its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah is concerned, first of all, for the people living in the ruins, unprotected, disgraced is the word that is used. And then he's concerned about the walls. And as Tom mentioned last week, um, this may be part of a longer holy discontent, a niggle that God had given him. After all, he did ask the question, what's going on in Jerusalem? Perhaps he even sent his brother to find out. We don't know. But what we do know is that the reply that was given here evoked an overwhelming emotional response from Nehemiah. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And when I read that, I must say I felt slightly ashamed. Because I see things every day on my television screen and I see things and hear things that are happening and very rarely... Do I react like that? And it reminded me of um, a verse from one of our songs that says this, break my heart for what breaks yours. We see in the Bible that God can powerfully share his feelings, his longings, his desires with us, his heart with us. God says to Moses, I have heard my people crying in slavery. Set my people free. God's heart told to Moses. And just think of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, which somehow echoes Nehemiah's weeping over Jerusalem. Now we are all different and it It's good to know what motivates us. Feelings, longings, righteous anger. But sometimes God shares his heart with one person and sometimes with more than one person. And I think often in the New Testament it is a praying group or a church gathered that is given this sort of... um, What's the word I want opening from God really that God opens himself up to them and sometimes it is something that seems unimportant to others but God lays it powerfully on someone's heart really you're crying about the walls of Jerusalem and it but it may be the key 
to what God wants to do. So one thing I've already learned from Nehemiah is to stop and pray, because he does that lots of times through um, what happens to him, and we will look out for those. And we're just going to stop and pray at this point. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Let's just pray. So, Lord, we pray for a spark. Would you share your heart with us, Lord? Would you help us to remain open and to hear and to feel what you are hearing and feeling? Not to clam up, not to protect ourselves not to put walls around ourselves. But may we remain open to you. Amen. Right, we're going to go on and look at what Nehemiah prayed as a response to that spark he felt. Having found himself in this situation, Nehemiah mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven for several days. Several days. When was the last time you did that? And this is his prayer. And as we go through, I'm going to relate this prayer to us as well, not just what was happening then. Four parts to this prayer, and I got rather carried away with these six-word titles, so you'll, you'll see them coming up. And the first part is this. God is still great and loving. God is still great and loving. The Jewish people had been living in exile in an alien culture for over a hundred years. Perhaps that is five or six generations. Nehemiah probably never been to Jerusalem. Uh, They need to remind themselves who God is, that God hasn't changed. They need to learn to trust him again, um, because there is a wearing down effect to continual disappointment. That is something I have learnt in the last uh, two years, that there is a wearing down effect in trust, and they need to learn to hope again. Here's what Nehemiah prays. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear my prayer. God, that is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of their fathers, the God of our fathers, is still there. And he is still great. He is still the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. And he is still the God who loves us. The God who made a covenant with his people. Who still has his eyes and his ears open to us. And I might say that that may be all you need to hear today. In which case you can switch off the rest, all right? Perhaps what God wants you to hear today is that he's still there for you, 
He's still in control and he's still loving you. The next bit, six words. We have often let God down. Nehemiah says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Now we live in a very different world from Nehemiah and I think this is one place that this shows Our modern Western culture is incredibly individualistic. It's, not me, Gav, I'm not responsible for that. And this permeates into our spiritual life. In one sense, well, there's two strands, I think, in the Bible, reflected in the Bible. And one of them is um, often seen in the teachings of Jesus and the New Testament. Each one of us will have to stand as an individual before God and each one of us has to choose to repent of our sins and turn and follow Jesus for ourselves. That's a personal, individual decision. And that's why it's important that we think about inviting people to go to that thing with the Archbishop of Canterbury because we want people to be able to make that personal decision individual decision which I hope we know that each one of us has made but there is another strand in the Bible which reflects their more corporate worldview, um, especially in Nehemiah's time and later and it is this that we are all interconnected and what I do now what I do now impacts on you so if I do something wrong or foolish it can affect you. And I think we've been learning a lot more about that as a society during the pandemic. And also, um, sometimes or something I do or fail to do can also affect people for years to come. There can be a legacy effect of our sin on our children. And perhaps we're more prepared to acknowledge that now as we look at the climate crisis. And that is what Nehemiah is praying into here. He knows many of his people, God's people, are still in exile and Jerusalem is in ruins. And he believes it is the sins of his grandfathers and his grandmothers and his great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers that has caused this. They turned away from God and his generation is still living with the consequences. So he stands as a representative of his people and confesses their sin to God. We have done this, we Israelites, myself and my father's house. So I wonder what God is saying to us, God's people here today, about that. Because I would say that as a society, we struggle with this. What responsibility do we have now for the sinful systems of the past? Slavery, exploitation, empire. As a national church, we struggle with this. 
does the sin of some people in an organization reflect on others who may be blameless? For instance, paedophiles in the church. Who should say sorry? And does saying sorry make any difference? That might be something you can explore in your life groups if you get round to discussing this. Now, I don't have all the answers, but I would say that this passage in the Bible and other passages, not least the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us, seems to imply that there is an importance about saying sorry together. Corporate confession. And that's why we do that in our services. It seems to unlock something spiritually and it also changes us. And I'm guessing if Jan was up here, she could tell you a lot more about that. The third part of Nehemiah's prayer. You promised, don't give us up. He said, Nehemiah prays, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are on the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah reminds God of all that he has promised to Israel. Remember is a key word in this book. Now, we don't need to remind God because he might have forgotten. It might have slipped from his memory. But this is really about reminding ourselves of what God has promised and stating it before him. This is Nehemiah focusing not on his present reality, but on God's plans and promises. If you are unfaithful, you said, I will scatter you. But if you return to me, I will gather you and bring you home. That is what he pro- you promised us, Lord. And we know your promises cannot be broken. And I claim that now on behalf of my people. Nehemiah doesn't yet see all that God has promised but he claims it. And for us today, well, we have here a book of the promises of God to us. And we can claim them. We don't see everything that he has yet promised in this book, but we claim it because we know God is faithful. Last part. Help me to serve you now. Nehemiah says, They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and give your servant success today. All this prayer leads to action. It seems God had already given Nehemiah the idea of what he was to do, what action he wanted him to take. And Nehemiah is willing to do that, but he is asking for God's help. 
I suspect the idea of what to do came in those days of mourning and fasting and praying. And that during that time as well, Nehemiah might well have struggled with God about whether he could really do this or not. There is a lot here about being a servant and serving God. Nehemiah was a trusted servant of the king, the cupbearer, the wine steward, the butler, perhaps a bit Jeeves-like, perhaps. But he is also the servant of the highest God, and God is asking him to step out of the role of the king's servant and jeopardize his career and possibly his life. More on that next week. So I wonder what God wants to say from Nehemiah's prayer to us today here at St. Paul's. So here are my three points, really. Anything great must start with prayer. Some commentators might say that this prayer is a formula. Um, So many of these Old Testament books start with a similar calling and prayer. And I think I would want to turn that round and say, it is not surprising that anything important for God starts with prayer. No great enterprise for God can succeed without prayer. And as I said before, this is not a one-off prayer. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. Prayer permeates this book, nine prayers as we go along. So for us, how can we put ourselves as individuals, as a church, in a place where God can speak to us and share his heart with us? Where we can listen and respond to that prayer. Where does that happen in your daily life? And where does it happen in our life together? Prayer meetings, life groups, prayer partners. Without that space to listen, to feel God's heart and to respond to God's call, probably nothing great for God will start with us. Secondly, prayer is not asking God for lots of stuff, which is sometimes what it seems like. It should be changing me to be like God. Or perhaps changing me to feel like God, or to think like God, or to see like God, or to act like God. I have a a compass app on my phone. I'm not really sure why, because it's very unlikely that I will get lost in some remote place. But I do have a compass app on my phone. And um, when you uh, wander around with your phone and this app, it's all over the place. It's like that. And the whole purpose of it is that you need to bring it into line with north. And when you do that, actually the whole screen turns red. And you're meant to sort of, if you want to walk walk north, you're meant to stay in the red zone in order to walk towards the north. And I think that is partly what prayer is like. It's about bringing us into line with God, what God wants, his desires, his priorities, 
we're all over the place, we need to line up with God. There is a process of change here in Nehemiah. Um, he goes through a process during this, this prayer. He goes from perhaps concern, perhaps indifference, I don't know. Indifference, concern, to lament and crying out to God, to uh, trust, to confession, to action. Prayer aligns us with God and moves us from mourning to action. And my third point is this. This series is called Rebuild. And I want to say, build it well and then rebuild it better. We're not saying that there is no value in what God has already built in this place because we know that God has already been gracious and good to us. But Nehemiah's call was to a city that was half rebuilt and to a people still recovering from prolonged trauma. And as we move on in this story, what does God want to say to us about his people here now, this church, Camberley? What are the new things we need to build in for our new situation? And this may well be a calling to all of us as a church, but we can see from Nehemiah that it can also start with one person who is willing to be changed by God. We're going to finish by actually praying Nehemiah's prayer together. And um, I'd like us to stand to do that. It, a, a, a sort of abridged version of it will be on the screen. So would you like to stand to start with? Is it possible not to have the back rack? Thank you. Lovely. So, yeah, that's a bit easier. Thank you. Um, I was thinking this week about um, 9-11 because it's been in the news. And I was thinking about how that was a, a, a day that shifted the world, that changed the focus of the world, that meant a change of gear. Now, you may not agree with all that has happened in the 20 years since as um, a response to 9-11. But once something like that has happened, you can't go back to not knowing. And for America, for the USA, they couldn't go back to their innocence. They knew what it was like to be under attack. And similarly, with this virus that we've endured, we can't go back to a world where we didn't know that this could happen, where we didn't know what it was like to feel vulnerable. So what is God opening up through this for us and for the church? What is the shift that he might be opening us up to? We're going to pray this prayer. And as we do that, let's ask that we would be open to whatever the rebuilding is that he wants for us.
So would you just like to put that prayer up again and um, we will read it. And I think if you don't mind, I'm going to come down and read it with you. So, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, you keep your covenant of love with all those who love you and obey your commands. Listen and be open to hear our prayer. We are your people and we are praying day and night before you. Lord, we confess the sins we have committed, each one of us and our ancestors, now and in times past. We have often acted wickedly towards you. We have chosen not to obey the commands you have given us. O Lord, please remember all you have promised to us. You said that if we were unfaithful, we would be far away from you. But if we turn back to you, you would gather us together and make your home with us again. Lord, we are your people, redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. We ask that you would continue to listen to our prayers and prosper all that we do in your name. May we know your favour and blessing. Amen. If the band would like to come up, we're going to carry on. Um, and just, this is an opportunity really to respond to God however you want to respond to him as we sing together. <laughs> 